0: Hello, and welcome to Winning Healthcare Food Fights. This is Hunter Schultz. My guest this week is a board-certified family medicine physician. He's a graduate of Wayne State University School of Medicine, the author of Direct Primary Care, The Cure for Our Broken Healthcare System. And I'm proud to be among his alpha readers for that book. He's been a speaker at TEDx Detroit. His practice is Plum Health DPC a direct primary care service that is the first of its kind in Detroit, Michigan. And welcome to the show, Dr. Paul Thomas.
1: Thank you so much for having me on today. It's a real pleasure.
0: Well, happy new year and new decade.
1: And 2020, (laughs) here we are.
0: I know, the roaring 20s. Let's hope it's the roaring 20s for a certain type of medical practice that we both know and love, and I have here in Panama. Oh, yeah. Uh, And
1: you're getting to be quite the media star. Well, thank you. I've been working at that a bit, just trying to stay present in the Detroit media specifically, because that's where all my potential patients live. Sure,
0: sure. Well, you know, there's so much negativity in healthcare these days, and I wanted to start out with perhaps a positive outlook. And my dad would always tell me, son, when something bad happens, ask yourself what's good about it. it, forces you to think differently. Hmm. So, what are some of the good things about U.S. healthcare that you see as we motor into 2020?
1: Well, I mean, you hinted at it, but I love that the direct primary care movement is growing now, with a, roughly 1,200 doctors across the country. Chances are you live close to a direct primary care doctor if you're listening to this. I also like that, you know, the Affordable Care Act did provide some provisions to that were helpful. You know, like uh, having coverage for young adults up to age 26. I think that's a helpful thing. And uh, those are the big things that I like right now. Yeah. I think, you know, it's there's still some free market elements in our healthcare system in the United States. And there's enough there that we can build some momentum and help make those free market elements more robust so that more patients are protected from overcharges from hospital systems and insurance companies. Yeah.
0: It's, this isn't going to be turned around. This has been a long time coming. Right. And it's something that's going to take a while to get, to get fixed and, and getting it right, which right. primary care is, you know, if you don't get that right, forget it, you're done. I mean, it just falls apart after, you know, after a while. The other thing I, that I've seen is you have, as a physician, I'm not a doctor, and, and so I, I am knowledgeable enough and have been tested enough in my life that I see there's more tools for assessing health and wellness. And I would include genome, gut microbiome, and there's others. There's blood tests. There's all sorts of tests now mm. that, and, and, and like anything, you give, you give a hammer to a two year old and all of a sudden, you know, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> so right. what I'm, what I see is the fact that you have so many more tools and you have so many more ways of assessing health and wellness. And the the thing is, of course, you need the time and the patient knowledge to figure out what and when this is appropriate.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's there's a lot out there from you know things like 23andMe to I just ran an aperiomics uh, report to look at bacteria, fungus, viruses in somebody's bloodstream, um, and genome sequencing. I, I had a rep from a company called one Ohm. They're talking about doing a genome sequencing to see how a uh, patient would react to a psychiatric medication. Wow. The other amazing things are the, the hardware that we have, like, uh, recently something came out called the butterfly ultrasound, where you can, literally have an ultrasound probe that attaches to your iPhone and you can see real-time images with those two pieces of hardware. The inside of your patient, in your office, handheld, really beautifully designed. I'm looking to get one of those this year. Mm -hmm. And then the software of connecting with patients. So like texting and emailing um, and having more consistent communication with patients is something that's allowed me to take better care of my patients. Like Sending text message reminders about time to work out or how's your diet been this week or how many cigarettes are you smoking this week? Those sort of things can be really instrumental in transitioning someone from sedentary or smoking too much or not eating the healthy things to moving the right direction and, and doing the right things for their behavioral health so they can live longer.
0: Yeah. Well, with this new communication. Uh, The new communication channels that you have, and and, and we just went through New Year's, and there's New Year's resolutions. So do your patients share their resolutions with you? And and I would think that food habits would be one, and and of course, one size doesn't fit all. So how do you handle that part of patient care?
1: You know, that's a great thought. I haven't specifically asked my patients to tell me, oh, what's your New Year's resolution this year? But that would be a really cool thing to do. What I do in my office is with every new patient that I see, I ask them if they have a health goal that they'd like to achieve. And when they tell me that health goal, I'll text them you know, every week or every other week and see how they're doing with that, that goal. Usually weight loss, sometimes eating healthier, usually exercising more, smoking fewer cigarettes, et cetera.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your path to become a physician. There's always a story there. So I always ask physicians, when did did the light come on in an instant or was it just a process you went through?
1: Sure. When I was uh, 17 years old, I started volunteering at a free clinic in Detroit called Cass Clinic. And it was a clinic set up by one physician and many medical student volunteers and I saw how compassionate this doctor was and how compassionate these students were in taking care of homeless uh, individuals, veterans, elderly folks with mobility issues, and generally the un- uninsured or underinsured folks in Detroit and I wanted to be like that. I wanted to be like them. And I found out that they were all medical students at Wayne State. So, I set a goal of going to Wayne State University School of Medicine and becoming a physician that way. And that w- Something that really pushed me towards that goal was learning about how these student doctors were helping people at the street level. It was really amazing. In your book, In Direct Primary Care, it's the cure for a
0: broken healthcare system. The foreword mentioned the simplicity of direct primary care. Another saying that I love is there's majesty in simplicity. Mm. So how simple is it and why should patients care about that simplicity
1: yeah i think it's really simple you pay a flat rate you know 10 dollars a month for children and it starts at 49 dollars a month for young adults and then you have access to a primary care physician who you can text or email or call when you need them and they respond pretty much right away and you can have your healthcare Concerns addressed right away rather than having them drag, you know, drug out over time. And importantly, it incentivizes you to use the service. You're paying, you know, the $49 a month. So you're incentivized to use the service. And as physicians, we're incentivized to keep you as healthy as possible. So alternatively, in our complicated fee for service model, there are really perverse incentives. The doctor is incentivized to bill and code for as much as possible. That means make as many diagnoses and perform as many procedures as possible because that's how they get reimbursed. In our model, um, less is sometimes more. The less we can do for a patient in terms of interventions and allow the natural healing processes to take hold or really spend our time focusing on counseling people through health behaviors that can help them to heal faster or heal over, over time, uh, we're able to do more good that way. The prices are $10 a month for children
0: up to 17. I mean, that's outstanding. Yep. I mean, exactly. t- I mean timely access, phone, text, chats. Hmm. If you're a parent, you'd have to be a barking moron not to want
1: that. But that's just me. Uh, <laughs> right. And we have a lot of families who sign up just because they spent $100 at the pediatrician, uh, including the copay and then the bill they got three months later for whatever services were rendered. And they're like, okay, $100 for one visit, or I can spend $120 a year with Dr. Paul. And it becomes a no brainer. Yeah. And there's other, I know there are other benefits. And in fact, I, yeah, I'm just turned
0: 60 Last mm. month, so my price is sixty nine dollars a month at your clinic, right? And I mean, given the the access and then the service, I mean, such a deal, Paul. Way to go!
1: <laughs> yeah, and and we really wanted to be cognizant of our surrounding community here in Detroit and Southwest mm-hmm. Detroit. The median income is twenty six thousand dollars. So I felt really comfortable spending, uh, asking people to spend the equivalent of like a cell phone bill or less for their health care every month, or if you're a family. It's cost less than the typical cable bill uh, for you and your family to be a part of our service. So I really wanted to be cognizant of the economic means of our surrounding community and make this a really easy choice for people that needed excellent primary care services. Right. I I know price is a
0: consideration, but if I recall correctly, you you did start Plum Health in a disadvantaged part of Detroit. I think you just mentioned that it wasn't in mm-hmm. Gross Point. Where Biff had muffin hangout, uh, (laughs) an MBA would say, gross point. Instead, you went to this low, you went to a low income area and the practice grew anyway. I mean, that's very encouraging and it's a cold bucket of water on the naysayers. So the backstory there is encouraging. And if I recall correctly, you, you just moved a little while ago. You had a ribbon cutting ceremony. The mayor of Detroit showed up, which is great. Yep. So
1: you, you did you move far or did you move? No, it's like 1.1 miles walking distance from the old office. And that was always intentional. I was looking for a space that we could grow into that was very close to our old location. So we could keep serving the patients who had already signed up with our practice. We didn't have to leave anybody behind. And so we're Still walking distance for a lot of folks in the neighborhood and um, Mm -hmm. just more convenient access because now we're facing a street before we were subleasing an office that was like inside of a building that was a little bit hard to find. Um, Now we're kind of on a main avenue. We're on Michigan Avenue in what you would call the Corktown neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And the practice has grown too. You just added another
0: physician and, and you had an MA, a medical assistant for a little while now, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. Chris has been with us for the last five months. Uh, we hired another doctor uh, July 1st, Dr. Raquel Orlick, and she's been wonderful. She's um, really grown her practice quickly. So she's now over 150 patients, getting close to like 165 patients right now in her own panel. And, and for me, I'm carrying around like 450 patients plus uh, for my own panel. You've grown that, what, over three years, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's typically we're adding about 25 to 30 new members each month. And of course we have attrition that we deal with. People move or uh, change jobs or things change in people's lives. So we have to be sensitive to that. And, you know, we do our best every day for all of our patients.
0: You have the incentive. And, And the other thing is you also have something which it's patient time. And it's, it's not just face time, but it's also the time to think about your patients. And, and in the old system, there's no way really of compensating you for that, is there?
1: Exactly. And that's another of the perverse incentives in, in the fee-for-service model. The doctor is supposed to see as many patients as possible per day, per hour, um, usually three or four patients per hour, or you know, 25 to 35 patients a day. That's what doctors are asked to see by healthcare administrators. Mm -hmm. And so in that system, you really have 15 to 20 minutes per patient. You're spending eight to 10 minutes charting and and your patient only has 10 to 12 minutes with you face to face. And then when you're done with that, doctors are bringing on average 86 minutes of charting home with them each night. They're nicknamed like pajama notes or pajama EMR notes because the doctor will put their kids to bed, pour themselves a glass of wine, and then type into their electronic medical record for 86 minutes every night. So there's really no time to think critically about a case that's still bothering you. I mean, try to forget about it and move on to the next thing in most cases. Whereas in this model, you know, I build in about an hour to three hours each day where I have admin time where I can write up a consult or think critically about a problem or read up on an issue that I'm unfamiliar with to, to give my patients the best care possible.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've read some comments about in articles about direct primary care, and I see them on Twitter too, about 20 to 30-year-olds thinking they really don't need direct primary care. And my comments to them are usually, who's connecting the dots of, for instance, your wearable data? Right, and and who's the focal point for care, the continuity of care, and, mm-hmm. and so what are they? What else are they missing by not having you as a as a their primary care physician?
1: Well, I think it just comes down to a relationship and the continuity of care, like you mentioned, and having a trusted physician in your back pocket. You know, you may need to come in once or twice a year for your annual physical or a cough or cold. But you know, if something goes wrong, you cut yourself or there's a more major concern, you would like to have a doctor who knows your history really well, mm-hmm. who can use all that information, all that past knowledge to give you the best care going forward. A lot of people are going to the urgent care in their hour of greatest need and seeing a PA or an NP or a doctor, hopefully that they've never seen before, right? So, in, the, in your hour of greatest need, you're going to someone you've never met before and hoping that they'll give you the best care possible. And frankly, those, those folks that are working in uh, urgent care settings, they're seeing on average five to six patients an hour, because that's how their incentive structures work.
0: Yeah. That's the continuity of care. And, and, and I think I have a 26-year-old niece, and I've, mm. I've had this discussion, and she has an app, that tells her where's the closest doctor that has an available appointment, and I think she's kind of going, well, that's not a good idea anymore. Yeah, um, like Zocdoc is. Yeah, I think that's, that's cool. it. I mean, yeah. I don't want to. I know I'm. I don't want to dump on Zocdoc, but right, they're they're missing. There's a missing element here, and I think given again the things like wearable data and medical history and the the amount of data that you have coming in as a primary care doc, I think they're more at risk by not having you. Right. That's a, I don't want to say it's a no brainer, but I think if I were going back to my twenties and thirties, I'd rethink my, my healthcare a lot more because I didn't pay too much attention to it. It wasn't, it wasn't a, it just wasn't in the culture. And I think a lot of it, men don't go to doctors, you know, I mean, you're brought up to be, there's a cult, there are a lot of cultural influences that, that tell you now rough it out, tough it out, you know, from coaches. And that's changing a bit, which is encouraging. You've seen that in sports, you know, youth Mm. sports, which is good. I've heard a common issue with DPC docs and, and that's prospective patient education. So someone's Coming in from a dysfunctional system, which is what we have now. And the problem is they don't even know the questions to ask. Culturally, they wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. They're exposed to hospital ensemble shows on TV, and that's not, you know, that's not really relevant. So what are some of the important things people should know before coming in and signing up? What takes the most time for you to unpack and explain?
1: Well, I think that people should know that we're available to them. Some people sign up for a service and then go to an urgent care when they have symptoms. And then so we have to do some coaching like, hey, if you have an urgent concern like a bronchitis, I definitely want to see you for that rather than you going somewhere else. So that's some coaching. Um, Having patients, you know, in our practice during that first visit, we go through a laundry list of really important things to help them be as healthy as possible. And there, there are several things that we talk about, um, their allergies, their current medications, reviewing possible interactions, talking about their health history, past surgeries that they've had, you know their, their health activities like dietary choices, exercise choices, sexual activity, et cetera, reviewing their immunizations. And so trying to be comprehensive with folks and getting all that information in one place And being a steward of that information, uh, doing the records releases from other hospitals and making sure that we have a really good understanding of the individual that's sitting before us and so we can deliver the best care possible for them.
0: Mm -hmm. Should, Should they get some information, I mean, about their health history before they come in? I mean, is there anything they can do that makes that time more effective for you and them?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if anybody can bring in their old records, that helps us tremendously rather than having to do a records release to get those from another health institution. But, you know, it's, it's hard because people have really varying levels of health literacy. And so, you know, that's a huge issue. And that's a whole nother podcast and a whole nother topic of <laughs> teaching people in our school systems about health literacy and what is a sexually transmitted infection? What is heart disease? What is, you know, vitamin D or high blood pressure, et cetera? These, this basic health knowledge that people should have um, that don't necessarily have, especially around eating habits, like what is a healthy food um, and how, how can that impact the way your energy level is and your ability to think critically and do your work throughout the day? Dr. Paul
0: Thomas joining me on the show today. And so, Paul, I know you stress value over price, which I think is more effective long-term for direct primary care, and and there's no beating it in terms of care. Um, How long after they become a patient does it really hit home with them?
1: Oh, about the value?
0: Well, yeah, the value and and just their care in general.
1: Yeah, I think one of the huge things is that when someone has an event like an urgent concern let's say a cut finger um, and they text me about it and i tell them to come in right now and i sew it up and there's no cost to them that really cements the relationship and allows people to see how tremendously valuable the service is um, and some people leave after the first visit and say this is the best primary care visit i've ever had or this is the best doctor's appointment i've ever had Because they literally walk into the door. I get up from the front desk. I shake their hand. I bring them back to the room. Our medical assistant comes in, gets their vital signs, and then I return to the room and go through all their concerns, do their comprehensive health history, get their blood work, and then they're done under an hour if it's their first appointment or if they're in a rush. It could be as fast as five minutes. It just depends what they need. And then once we have their lab results, I email it to them. And so then with the description of everything we've done and why it's important and how they can improve going forward. So I think within the first one or two days of somebody becoming a patient, they really see clearly the value of having a primary care doctor who can coach them through their their health concerns and give them great customer service as well. Um, Doctors aren't used to giving great customer service, but in our practice, that's really important because we want to wow people when they walk in the door. They, we want them to feel like we're different, we're unique, we're delivering a different kind of medical service, and it can be really beneficial um, if they stay with us long term. Well, you mentioned something there about the
0: the wow factor, but I would say that there are a lot of doctors out there that would love to be able to do it, but they're stuck in a system that doesn't allow them, doesn't sure doesn't allow them to do it. Mm-hmm. So but what are what are the types of things that you don't handle in DPC?
1: Yeah, we don't do major surgery in our office. However, we can help you coordinate major surgery. So, you know, like one patient was quoted $15,000 for a hernia repair, and then we were able to call one local hospital and then we looked at Surgery Center of Oklahoma. <sighs> the hernia repair I think was $3,600 at Surgery Center of Oklahoma. And then a local hospital gave a price of $4,600. So we gave that those options to our patient and they, they chose the local hospital for $4,600 because they didn't sure. want to travel to Oklahoma. Yeah. So we don't do major surgery, but as with everything we do, everything with your health, we will always try to help you coordinate care and get you to the care that you need and help you in that process and find the right doctors at the right price.
0: Um, Don't you just love Keith Smith at at Surgery Center of Oklahoma?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's an amazing concept and it's really pulled back the curtain on healthcare pricing. And I think when you have that standard in the marketplace, if you're any hospital system CEO or COO, chief operating officer, chief executive officer, you have to list your prices or you have to come up with a way to find reasonable prices for your patients in your community otherwise people are going to go elsewhere so i think you know it's a you know it's like the the how how would you say like the pebbles at the top of a mountain causing an avalanche you know it's like just those initial actions are so powerful throughout the marketplace yeah
0: and and i would say that a lot of the doctors like you who've been at direct primary care now for a while are those pebbles and and the repercussions are starting. You know, I've seen some healthcare plans, proposed healthcare plans, that it's, whenever I see a new one, I, I, the first thing I look for is direct primary care. Sure. And, and then the second thing are HSAs, but that's another, that's a whole other kettle of fish. I already,
1: I already did it. Yeah, which you covered previously. That was yeah. a great episode.
0: Thank you, Dr. Ken, Kenneth Fisher.
1: Yeah. The, the other, I wanted to say, you know, the other thing we don't do are hospitalizations. Like we don't hospitalize patients in our clinic. But again, you know, I've met people in the emergency department before they were hospitalized and I visited patients doing like social visits in the hospital to make sure that their care was going well and being coordinated. And then, you know, we do, we have an e-consult platform that's free to our patients. So I can write up any clinical case and send it to a board certified specialist and get a response within, you know, four to 24 hours typically. But, uh, we can't guarantee an in-person referral to a specialist, depending on your insurance coverage. If you have a PPO, it's no problem. If you have an HMO, sometimes those networks can be really tightly controlled. Mm-hmm. Or if you're paying cash, we can call around and find some cash-based op- options for specialists in the area, but we can't like guarantee that we can give you everything that way, but we can do our best as always. Yeah, it's... You, you still need insurance and
0: you still, but I just, the HSA factor here is going to be awesome. We can right. unlock that. Boy, right. I mean, so it, that comes down to uh, what would the impact, what would the impact of, get, of unleashing HSAs have for you at the DPC level?
1: Well, again, it's like we talked about health literacy before, and now we should talk about financial literacy. Mm-hmm. But if like people really understood the true cost of quote unquote employer provided health insurance, they'd be appalled. Like your, your company is spending $10,000 on you every year for you to have health insurance. And then you're paying, you know, $400 a month, or I don't know, $4,800 a year on your end of the health insurance. Plus you have copays and deductibles and all that kind of stuff. So if patients really understood, people really understood all of that they would be clamoring for a different way because they, i think a lot of people would rather have the $10,000 raise and figure out how to use their their uh, discretionary spending to buy their health care or health insurance in a different way where they could really be responsible for all of those dollars i think that'd be much more appealing to the average american but unfortunately There's still a cloud of uncertainty about cost because it's shrouded by employer based insurance plans. So I think if we're able to unlock those aspects of the healthcare ecosystem, and then the HSA is just like the cherry on top oh, you can, you're telling me I can use pre tax dollars to pay for my healthcare services. You know, like again, we need to teach high school students in their home economics class about HSAs and pre-tax, um, savings accounts, like 401ks or 403bs or whatever. I mean, there's, there's just so much that people can learn to, to better their financial standing and to, to pay for things, uh, with cash for a lower rate. When you
0: mentioned that, that patient who, who had the hernia operation, Mm -hmm. this sounds like businesses, I mean, are businesses there getting the memo?
1: In terms of direct primary care, and then and then shopping around, I think I think a lot of them are looking at it. I think uh, recently in, in the Detroit-based market, we had I think it was General Motors partner with Henry Ford Hospital for a more or less direct pay exchange of healthcare services. Um, hmm. So that made a big splash around here. But every company is hurting for lowering their healthcare costs because they continue to skyrocket. Yeah, Uh, Quicken Loans, one of the largest employers in Detroit and Michigan, they're a mortgage company. You've probably seen their like rocket mortgage commercials. They recently installed a on-site direct care-esque clinic at at their headquarters. So any employee can go in uh, pretty much at any time for healthcare services from a doctor and a team of nurse practitioners and PAs and psychologists and nutritionists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these companies are looking for ways and we've really partnered with smaller employer groups, like in the five to 30 employee range, where they're, they're making a good profit, but they are not making enough to provide health insurance benefits for all their employees so they are looking to provide something, some sort of healthcare benefit for the people reaching out to us to get that done
0: and considering that most people i mean most people's care is primary care throughout their lives i mean oh amen yeah not that complex as long as it's done right Mm -hmm. and the old system doesn't do it and therefore you have to get primary care right it's got to be comprehensive because you're able to do things at that level because you have the time with the patient it's not that complex right so i'm glad to hear businesses there are starting to get that you know that that message. The other thing that I see, uh, I see a lot of physicians turning to to direct primary care as almost salvation from the current antiquated old U.S. system. And to tackle that, leave it to Paul Thomas, you started an online course at startupdpc.com to help them make that move. And so for any current or future docs listening, tell us more about that because that's, that's
1: needed. Yeah, I, I really love the direct primary care model. I love the movement. I've been a speaker at, you know, virtually all of the direct primary care conferences across the country. And so I, I have a lot of folks reaching out to me who wanna know more about the model, about the movement, about how they could personally convert their practice they're an existing doctor into DPC, or if they're a resident or a student how they can start a direct primary care practice when they finish their training so i started this website to kind of accumulate all of my knowledge in kind of like a systematic way at startupdpc.com. and my tagline is how to start and grow your direct primary care practice i really want to empower doctors to take care of their patients to the best of their abilities with the right tools and it's really centered around education, teaching doctors, for example, how to write a business plan for a direct primary care practice, how to attract patients to your DPC practice, and, um, you know, like for those who are trying to find a space, how to, how to find that perfect spot to start your practice. Because these direct primary care offices, frankly, they look a lot different than your standard insurance-based office. You know, it's a smaller square footage, you have flexible workspaces, you need a medication room things like that, that can help you be successful in this model.
0: Yeah. And, and most physicians don't get any business training in school. That's right. Or Uh, maybe, maybe recently they've started to, I think I've seen some, some programs do give some training. Few and far between (laughs) for sure. So you're, you're, you're really being thrown to the wolves. So if I'm, if I'm a doctor and (laughs) I'm interested in direct primary care, obviously if I'm coming to you for you know guidance and advice, I have to compensate you for your time because that's fair. And you've put out time and money in learning it, so I'm telescoping time by getting it quickly from you, and mm. you're also successful at it. Yeah, <laughs> that's an sure. important point. You actually yeah. have done it, and that has got a lot more traction and a lot more uh, gravitas, if you will, than someone else. So what, what, it, how do you get compensated for that? Do you have a membership? How do you, how do you make that work?
1: Sure. I mean, I price this pretty low because I really believe in the model. And in fact, we do a lot of free content on our blog. So if you just go to startupdpccom slash blog, you'll see some interviews that I uh, ha- have with other doctors in the movement who are doing exciting, innovative things. Yeah. And then I have a lot of Q and a type of stuff on there. Um, my latest blog post was from a medical resident who was really interested in the model, and they wanted to f- have all of their questions answered. So I took the time to answer a bunch of their questions, and I just put it up on the blog, and we had hundreds of people read that blog post. So that was really cool. But um, the, the way I'm paid for this is I do some paid consulting where people pay me hourly to really take a deep dive on their website or on their branding approach or their marketing approach. Um, or if you take one of the courses on our website, um, they're typically like, you know, $69 or $99 a course. So you can take a really deep dive onto one topic and, and find out a lot of information about one thing. So you can perfect that and, and bring it to your practice to help you be more successful.
0: Yeah. I was glad to see you suggesting to get on podcast for media training. Thanks for that. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. It's e- easier to get great guests because you all have stories and I, I enjoy hearing from them. And so we're, we're wrapping up the show with Dr. Paul Thomas of Plum Health DPC. And again, you're located in Corktown at 1620 Michigan Avenue, Suite 125. Nailed it. Yep. The website is PlumHealth.com dpc.com, and we're going to have all that in the show notes and in the description. And I'm I'm going back, and I I really appreciated the the insight on the wow factor. I think, I think what people miss is exactly that, and it's something that Steve Jobs is really good at. He was really good at the wow factor. Totally. People just, uh, whenever you see him, whenever you would watch Steve introduce a new product like an iPod. He was awesome at that i mean it was just it was just awesome and and he took it to a different level and i there's a lot of there's a lot of i'll give you a compliment a real one because you're doing it you you got a little of that too well thank you
1: yeah i I think i learned a lot i read steve Jobs' story um i also read a great book um, by tony shea of zappos called delivering happiness Mm -hmm. and I talk about this um, in the next book that I'm about to publish later this month. Um, He he really talks about giving your customers a wow experience. And so if you've ever bought shoes from Zappos, you know how easy it is and how easy they make it to return things because they want you to find the perfect pair of shoes. And it may be a little bit more expensive. You may be paying full price, but if you find something you don't like, it's free to ship it back. And he also gives his employees a lot of autonomy on uh, when to give discounts or when to give reimbursements or refunds or whatever so he really focused on like building a culture that can deliver a wow experience to all of their customers and I took those lessons to heart and it's something that I implement in my practice as well
0: yeah it's paid off I mean it literally and figuratively you're a doctor that loves what you do <laughs> right and that's what That's what you want in any, in any service that you're buying Mm -hmm. uh, or any product, but a service especially, you want people who enjoy what they're doing. And, and I can assure you, I, I wouldn't be sitting in front of a microphone if I, if I didn't enjoy it. And I mean, just imagine having a doctor that loves what they do and is excited to wake up in the morning and feel energized. I mean, Hello, it's not that complex.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it's a great gig. I really get to take care of some wonderful people who live and work in this community, and they trust me with their healthcare. It's a privilege to be able to serve people in this way, and I at the end of the day I enjoy taking care of folks, and I don't really envision myself doing anything else other than you know recording podcasts and speaking at conferences and other things like that that are enjoyable for me. But you know this is this is a good way to spend my time and spend my energy taking care of other people and helping them to feel their best every day.
0: Living your purpose, as they say.
1: Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, I take a deep dive on that. I keep mentioning this, but, you know, in a couple of weeks here, I'm going to be releasing uh, a book called Startup DPC, where I've taken all this knowledge and put it into one place. And my first chapter is about Uh, It's actually the beginning of chapter two. It's about this Japanese concept called Aikagai, or your reason for being. And a lot of doctors want to achieve that reason for being, and they feel like they're dragged down by all the administrative tasks that they have to do. And in this model, I feel like my DPC colleagues have found that Aikagai sensation where this is exactly what they should be doing because they're spending a lot more time actually taking care of their patients and doing meaningful work rather than typing into an EMR and pushing paper, so to speak. Yeah.
0: That, that living, your, living your purpose. I, I have a, a, I'll share with you a quick story because I know your time is short. Um, my dad had a really great friend and his name was Father Camillus Barth. And mm. he was part of the Passionist Monastery. And we're going back a ways now. And they met at Creative Problem Solving Seminars, uh, the Creative Problem Solving Institute at the State University of New York in Buffalo. And Father Barth, he had the best business card I've ever seen in my life. And on, the f- on, on one side was Father Camillus Barth and then his address and then his phone number. And on the other side were four words. And... I've yet to see any business card that comes close to it. And the four words were working to beat hell. Ha huh. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, for, for a man of the cloth, how can, I mean, that was utterly brilliant. That's amazing. And it's, it's summed up and, and I've, I've, I've never come close to that, but I think that's a worthy goal to go after. And so uh, thanks again for joining me today, my friend, and I wish you continued success with the practice and startupdpc.com. Again, PlumHealthDPC.com, And to my listeners, thank you too. And that's all for now. And please join me each week as we take a deeper dive into aspects of healthcare you won't find anywhere else. And there you are.